It's Friday, July 23rd. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The Tokyo Olympics are now officially underway, and they will be definitely an Olympics like no other. Happening amid the pandemic and rising numbers locally in Japan, these games will also not have any spectators. The big question is how that might affect the athletes, having no cheering fans, and the bigger concern, not having their families present. Questions have also been raised about athletes not being subject to the usual rigorous drug testing standards. Aaron Doherty, reporter at Axios, joins us for more. Next, there's a harsh reality for many that work as customer service agents. Many big companies often use contractors that have agents working from home to help you when you have a problem. They are often caught in the middle between abusive callers and corporate mandates to make the customer feel better. One of the unspoken rules is that the agents cannot hang up on an abusive caller no matter how bad it gets. Calling out sick could also get you fired. Managers track your time, and sometimes you have to absorb startup costs. Ariana Tobin, reporter at ProPublica, joins us for how bad it is for some customer service agents. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Oh, it's a shame for the Japanese people, really, that. Uh... Uh, and it's unfortunate there's no spectators. Uh, we've got a job to do. We take um, we take our uh, what the AOC, which is the Australian Olympic Committee and the International Olympic Committee, um, we take what they say um, on board. Joining us now is Aaron Doherty, reporter at Axios. Thanks for joining us, Aaron. Thank you so much for having me. The Olympics are on in full swing now. It really is an Olympics like no other. There's so many things happening. Obviously. It's happening in Tokyo right now amid the pandemic, and there's rising numbers of cases there in Tokyo. We're also seeing uh, this whole thing where there's nobody going to be in the stands. It's really going to be uh, mostly a TV-only affair. And for the athletes there that are competing on the ground, it's going to be a lot different. They're not going to have the hype, the crowds hyping them up. Some of that national pride is going to be a little hard to find sometimes when the fans aren't cheering for you when you're going up there. So, Aaron, you looked into that a little bit. And uh, what psychologists are speculating on what's going to happen with this? So, yeah, as you said, it's an Olympics like no other. I think sort of the bottom line is a lot of psychologists don't know for sure how a spectatorless Olympics may or may not impact athletes' performance. What we do know is there are some Olympians who have expressed concern and sort of just disappointment over this fanless games. Simone Biles had told the Associated Press that she likes to feed off of the crowd and so she's a little bit worried how she'll do under the circumstances. And I talked to a first-time Olympian on the women's track and field team and, you know, she's disappointed that she won't be able to experience sort of the excitement that comes with going to the games. And the psychologists that I talked to, they, you know, both sort of said that we don't know what's going to happen. There is prior research that suggests that the presence of other people tends to enhance somebody's performance when they're performing a task that is second nature. So for these athletes, for instance, who, you know, are practice and daily, you know, <laughs> multiple hours a day. And so practicing their sport is second nature to them. Right. There is research that suggests that the presence of other people can sort of raise the stakes and enhance performance. But again, there is research that really applies specifically to the Olympics because they are such a unique event. And there will be people watching virtually and there are still 
very high stakes with Olympic medals on the line. So while, you know, it remains to be seen, I guess, what will happen. um, But and psychologists don't know, I guess. Yeah, you know, I I suspect that not much will change, right? These are top tier athletes competing at the highest level. They're there to do a job and get it done and and win, right? They're highly competitive Mm -hmm. in their own world. So I suspect that it won't change that much. But but yes, some that overall feeling might change, you know, it could impact them. I think uh, one of the bigger concerns that some of these psychologists say is the absence of the families of the athletes. Mm -hmm. And that one that one seems to ring a little truer right there. You know, you know, after you compete, if you win, you know, you want to share with those that are closest to you. And a lot of these athletes' families aren't going to be there. So their team support systems are going to have to be stronger than ever. That was an interesting part of the reporting that I did. Both psychologists said that the bigger concern is perhaps that the athletes' families will not be there. And, you know, Sam Summers, who's a Tufts University psychologist, he cited um, other research that showed that having a social support of families and friends can be really important for athletes' mental health. And so, you know, having their families and friends like thousands of miles away in some, in most cases, you know, that is, again, these athletes really are going to have to lean on each other and find other ways to connect th- with their families. A couple of things they do have going for them, I guess, is, you know, we went through a year of, of all of this, you know, with NFL games, MLB games, NBA games, where they already did the fanless experience. And I guess beyond that, you know, everybody's in the same boat, at least, right? <laughs> you know, no, exactly, no, one, yeah. no one country is cheering louder for another than, you know, they're all going to be at the same place that way. Exactly. Yeah, that was, you know, sort of the bottom line of what um, Sam Summers concluded was, you know, these are top-notch athletes. They're world, world-class and they're all sort of performing in the same quiet field. So um, there's, you know, no, I guess there's no home field advantage. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm hyped up for this. I always love the Olympics. so I'm excited to see how it all turns out. One of the other things uh, that people were raising questions about were uh, drug testing during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. They paused a lot of these these tests because, uh, you know, obviously other reasons where other things were happening. Um, right. And, uh, you know, not to say that they're going into the Olympics without the proper test, but maybe early on in trials and other things like that, people were just raising concern about it. Yeah, I wrote about that today as well. I think, again, you know, there's sort of, you know, a lot of uncertainty surrounding many aspects of the pandemic. But I think one aspect that people have raised questions over is the fact that during the kind of early months of the coronavirus, for approximately three months, all drug test programs, pretty much all drug testing programs had to be suspended. And there were other sort of pilot programs that were launched by different programs to continue drug testing. But by and large, there were people who were not being tested in about, you know, April of 2020. So that's sort of another question going into these games of there were just not as stringent of drug testing requirements about, you know, a year and a half ago. And so sort of how will that play out? You know, the World Anti-Doping Agency has come out and said that they've really ramped up their testing and they're back to full capacity in recent months. So it shouldn't be, you know, it's not like people have not been drug tested. That's very important to note. But it's just, again, there was a sort of a wrench in the plan of of the Olympics. (laughs) Yeah, and I I guess there was a lot of records that were being set early on, Mm -hmm. and and that was kind of a concern. They're like, what's going on here? But I I don't want to diminish the accomplishments of any of these athletes or anything, but it's like I said, since there was a pause in these drug testing program because of the pandemic, that's where all these kind of questions come up. You know, there are people have been pointing to other factors that could be at play. I think people are talking about shoe technology or these athletes. Um, it, the, a lot of the records were happening in track and field events. And they were sort of pointing to just these athletes may have just been really, re- you know, ready to run because <laughs> they've yeah. been re- uh, kind of like inside for for a while. But so, again, yeah, there's, you know, there's no like hard evidence of it, but it's uh, of drugs 
impacting performance, but it just sort of, you know, adds to the confluence of factors that are kind of circulating in these very unusual Olympic Games. Aaron Doherty, reporter at Axios, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. One day, her son comes home and he's like knocking on the door because he's broken his wrist. And she feels so much pressure to, you know, not call in sick, not call in for an emergency that she like really um, has to go to great lengths to try to convince everyone that she can't work because her Internet is out. Joining us now is Ariana Tobin, reporter at ProPublica. Thanks for joining us, Ariana. Thanks for having me wanted to talk about the harsh realities of working in customer service. So if you've ever called Airbnb, Home Depot, Intuit, which does TurboTax, AT&T, uh, you know, just a bevy of companies, they often outsource some of their customer service representatives to other companies. And then the people that work at these companies, you know, a lot of times uh, have a hard time dealing with everything from crappy customers to really harsh working conditions, you know, being uh, on the clock and meeting quotas and all this stuff, it can get pretty, pretty bad for a lot of them. So Ariana, you, you uh, wrote up a story kind of talking to a lot of customer service reps and kind of what they go through. And some, we got some pretty amazing stories out of there, but if we can start off by setting up the profile, who are these customer service reps? They're mostly women. So these customer service reps are mostly women And they're mostly women who needed to work from home long before the pandemic. So a lot of these people, they need to be near children. They have caretaking responsibilities for older family members or sick family members. Some of the people I talked to lived in rural areas where it was really difficult to get to places where they could find an office job. And a lot of these are people usually, I mean, these for for the most part, are not high-paying jobs. And so they're people who needed work. And this was the kind of work that was most suited to them. We talked to a number of people with disabilities, you know, ranging from like physical disabilities to mental health issues, where it was just very difficult for them to go to an office in person. So the short version of this story is there are people who really needed the work and who, when they found an opportunity to work from home, building halls from their house really felt like it was a godsend. And that's so important to stress because a lot of people will say, well, you hate your job or you don't like the conditions. Why don't you just quit? You know, not everybody's in that position. Some people get onto something and they want to keep it and they need the money, right? So that's why, you know, once we get into some of these pretty harrowing stories, that's why these people stayed and dealt with how bad it is. And, you know, so this, a lot of times these customer service reps are caught in the middle. Obviously, on the side of the consumer, a lot of times we're already calling with a problem, so we might be a little angry already. And then they have to uh, balance the needs of the company themselves. Across the board, it seems like uh, whether it's a written rule or not, they tell you, do not hang up on a customer. You have to listen them listen to them, you know, speak their piece basically on it. So if you think about it from the perspective of the company, customer service is really important, right? It's one of the only times when you as a customer are probably directly going to be talking to someone who, you know, for all intents and purposes, you assume is literally representing their brand. So 
to many of these companies, their brand is extremely important. They want you to walk away feeling like you've had a problem resolved. Yes, as you said, these are people who, if you're calling with an issue, it means you have an issue. So you're probably pretty angry. (laughs) And so to make sure that that happens and to make sure that they feel like the customer service representatives are presenting them in the best way, they need to maintain pretty strict control. And a lot of what we found in our reporting was that it gets really, really, really specific. So for some of these companies, they're really monitoring down to the number of seconds that the call goes silent. It's a metric called no talking time, where it's like down, I think, in one case to the seventh decimal point. Wow. Just making sure that the agent is, you know, it's, it's like a quality control mechanism for them. But when you're looking at these as performance metrics or something that's grading how well the customer service agent is living up to what the company expects, it can be really rigid, really strict and really scary. Okay, so let's get into some examples because some of these are pretty amazing. And as we mentioned, you spoke to a ton of different people, and these are just some really representative examples of what a lot of them go through. And we'll start off with your first example, someone named Christine Stewart. She was taking calls and chats for Intuit and TurboTax. And this kind of illustrates the strict monitoring and threats to be fired. You know, if you call out or something right away, they're telling you, well, you might be fired. And some of the other strict stuff, no outside noise. This is kind of her experience. Yeah, Christine, she worked for TurboTax. And I think the most striking part of her story to me, she was also a mom. And she specifically wanted this job because she had two kids at home and she just needed to be there to get them on the bus every day. And she said it took five minutes, but it was really problematic to be taking that kind of five minute break. And one day her son comes home and he's like knocking on the door because he's broken his wrist. And she feels so much pressure to, you know, not call in sick, not call in for an emergency that she like really um, has to go to great lengths to try to convince everyone that she can't work because her Internet is out. And so she really just feels like she has this job specifically because she wants to be home with her kids. Her son breaks his wrist and she feels like she can't take care of him. So I should say it's important to know that in all of this reporting, we also went to the companies and we went to both the company who these agents are taking calls for and the contractors who they, for the most part, work for. Um, And I say for the most part, because there's a bunch of different employment models here. And most of them said that they don't have a no hang up policy, but what from what we understood from talking to a number of agents is that even if there's no written policy, it seems to be the understanding among agents, among trainers and among the people who are actually doing these jobs. Like it's really the lived reality. I mean, yeah, across the board, it seemed like that's what everybody was feeling. And also to back that up, you know, you guys went through a, a lot of ways to verify a lot of these details where you could Facebook screenshots, email exchanges, a lot of different things that these people would share with you just to kind of verify their stories. So that's pretty bad. Uh, One of the other running themes, obviously, is the verbal abuse, too. Obviously, as we mentioned, people are calling in with problems. They get if they feel like they're not getting helped, you know, they can get pretty testy and, and the verbal abuse comes. You talked about an agent who was taking calls for Bath and Body Works, and she was getting it from a lot of customers or a lot of consumers. 
So her work with Bath and Body Works, she was very limited in what she was able to kind of do on some of these customers' behalf. And they would be, say, running a promotion, like you can get two lotions for the price of one. And she had to stick really closely to whatever the policy said. And when she would repeat that, when she would say that, a lot of customers, um, she told us, would basically scream at her. And, you know, it's like their frustration with the company ended up coming out as their frustration to her, of her. Yeah. And, and as I mentioned, you know, the verbal abuse can get pretty bad. Uh, you know, the, it can get, you know, until racial epithets, all sorts of stuff that they have to deal with. And, you know, as we keep kind of reiterating, there, there's this unspoken no hang up rule. So you just have to kind of take it until they either put her out or, or something. One of the other interesting things is... Uh, an agent that was taking calls for Home Depot. And I guess in that one, as you mentioned, there's different business models. They had to absorb some startup costs even, uh, you know, whatever, buying your computer, buying some equipment just so you can start that job. Yes. So this agent was taking calls through a contractor called Arise Virtual Solutions. And what Arise Virtual Solutions has done is they've basically taken the gig economy model, like you'd see in Uber or Lyft, where they pretty much frame it as like, you are your own boss, you have your own company, but we'll let you use our platform to be able to take customer service calls. So that all sounds quite complicated, right. and it, it is, but in reality, what it boils down to is that an agent who signs up to be an Arise agent pays for all of their own training, they pay for all of their own equipment, they have a platform fee, deducted from every paycheck. And while there are some agents who manage to make money out of this, we've actually talked to quite a few Arise agents who actually lost money on the deal or significant (laughs) chunks of their paycheck to the point where they were making below minimum wage. Yeah, some spent as much as $1,000 on training and equipment. And I mean, for somebody that needs a job, you know, you're hoping that it pays off in the long run. But that's a pretty high number just coming in, you know, just to start. That's pretty tough. I mean, again, from the perspective of the companies here, if the agents are the one picking up those costs, like paying for training, paying for equipment, that means the company doesn't have to pay for those things. It also means they don't have to pay for normal employment costs like benefits. So they don't have to field health insurance costs. They don't have to pay for payroll taxes. It's cheaper for both Arise, the contractor, which lets them in turn offer a lower premium to the brands they're trying to get to hire them. As you mentioned, you've reached out to a lot of these companies to get their response on, you know, what some of their employees had been saying. Overall, what are they saying about some of these pretty harsh conditions that we hear about? So most of the contractors say they want the working experience to be good for the agents. They say, you know, we're trying our best. Most of the companies who are fielding these calls say, you know, something pretty similar. A couple of them say, look, we're not the employers here. It's on the contractor. Like, you know, it's their responsibility, not ours, which of course makes them say we're not responsible for these things. A number of the companies didn't get back to us, including Sykes, the company that Christine Stewart, the agent we were talking about before with the son who broke his wrist, they didn't get back to us. They didn't provide any sort of comment. And a few of the other companies we name and the other brands, they didn't give us any comment. Wow. 
Well, I mean, it's just an interesting story. There's a lot of examples here. I suggest everybody go and check out Ariana's piece on this because there's some pretty <laughs> interesting stuff, things that kind of piss you off when you hear about it too. So, and you know, I guess if you're calling in with a complaint somewhere, take a deep breath before you <laughs> interact with people. Ariana Tobin, reporter at ProPublica. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Please be kind to your customer service agents. They're trying. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.